Welcome to Unveiled Faces, a Redeemer Presbyterian Church podcast. Please enjoy our future presentation. So please uh, turn to our passage today. It's, it's the same passage that we, we focused on last, last week as well, John 15, John chapter 15. We're going to start at verse 9 and work our way through verse 15. So John 15, verses 9 through 15. Go ahead and stand. Hear the word of the Lord. These are the words of Jesus. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Here's the reason I've told you this. So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And hear these words, Christian. You are my friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Let's pray again. Father, we commit these words asking that you would set them apart, empower them by your Holy Spirit, change us, help us to be more like Jesus today and every day that follows until we see you face to face. We pray this in Jesus' name. Please be seated. So last week, what I did is I I focused the picture that I had in my head, and I hope that maybe you went away with it was one of my goals, was what I called that that cascade, that that sea swell of love that began or begins with the fountainhead of the Father and flows down to the Son and then to us and finally to each other, where he says, as the Father has loved me, so the Father has loved me. This is Jesus speaking. I have loved you. And you see this cascade of love beginning with the Father, flowing down into Jesus. He gives it to you, and then it spreads like an ocean out into the world, the each other that's mentioned there. And this, this each other is not as the little Pharisee in us is so ready to argue, it's not the friendly neighbor who is easy to like. Okay, so we think, oh, I am loved by the, by, I'm loved by Christ. And of course, that's supposed to work its way out into the world. But we tend to think it's the, it's the nice neighbor. It's the easy person. It's the person who looks a lot like me. That's the natural Pharisee in our heart. But no... The the parable of the bad Pharisee, also known as the parable of the Good Samaritan, removes removes that convenient argument. It tells us that our neighbor, the each other, are the people who give, or who God brings to us, whoever that might be. Whoever that might be. 
Um, as inconsistent, imperfect, challenging, difficult, nasty, brutish, brutish um, they might, as they might be. Th- that's our neighbor, that's the other, that's the person to whom we are given opportunity to express that Christ-like love. Um, but these people are often difficult. As I said when I began last week, if you were to ask me, what is the, what is the most the, the most brilliant blessings that God has placed into my life, name them. I would start with the names of people. I would start with, with Hannah and Josh and Sophie, and then the list would continue on to people that I, I get to serve with in ministry, George Vanderdusen, and on it would go. And then if you were, if you were to ask me, but what are the, the hardest, most difficult uh, things in life, I would probably start with you know, people like George Vanderdusen and, um, you know, and just as an example, right? <laughs> people, the people God puts around us are oftentimes the, the biggest blessings, and they are also, I was just joking, by the way. I, George is a blessing, Un, unmixed. <laughs> um, but people, let's be honest, the people that are closest to us, the people that are in our lives that are oftentimes the blessing, also are, it's really hard. It can be really hard. And so our response tends to be one of three options or maybe a blend, an ugly cocktail of these three options. We, we tend to want to avoid people altogether or we, we limit the depth of the connections, just always holding people at arm's length, never letting them in close because we've experienced the pain and the disappointment that comes from that. Or maybe we just we limit the number of connections, the number of people we curate our, our friendships like, um, like somebody might curate a museum, we only allow the, the connections with people of the highest caliber. Or maybe it's more, more common, it's not the highest caliber, that would be so rude, wouldn't it? But the least risk, the least pokey, the least difficult. But we know we can't do this because Jesus showed us. He showed us the that love, the love that flows down from the Father and into the world, that kind of love loves enemies, it loves traitors, it loves pain causers, it loves sacrificially even unto death. And that's, that's my summary from last week. And so immediately, immediately we begin to think things like this. Maybe this isn't you, but I know there's some of you in here are already thinking, what, what you're suggesting is a one-sided relationship with no boundaries that will just result in unhealthy friendships characterized by various manifestations of abuse. Because you want me to love those kind of people. And people cause pain. And so I haven't heard any qualifications, any clarifications, no disclaimers. There are disclaimers. But what I'm trying to do first is to simply apply the principles given to us in the words and life of Jesus. What I'm suggesting is that our motives, they tend to be selfish. That's our tendency. And that love as the center of any healthy relationship is characterized not by self-protectiveness, but by giving. That's what characterizes love. Giving self-sacrificially. If we don't start there, then we'll immediately become the, 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 the lawyers who are giving all the exceptions. 
in a healthy relationship, it's true. You have two people who are dedicated to mutual self-giving. And children who are maybe, or young people who are thinking about marriage. What is that supposed to look like? Our tendency, because we go the wrong direction, is to say, I, I want to find somebody who will fulfill me, who will satisfy my needs. And that's true, and that's, that's fine in its proper place, but that's not, the, that's not where we should go first. Where we should go first is marriage, healthy marriages, are two people coming into a covenant relationship with the intention and the eagerness to mutually give to mutually sacrifice. And can you see how that's far better? Instead of what our world says, come together so you can both receive. So you have two demanders. No, you come together with an eagerness to give to one another, to sacrifice for one another. And if you can do that, then there's nothing that you can, that you will experience in life. No difficulty, no challenge, no sin that can't be overcome. Because you want to give to one another. That's, that's the whole purpose for your marriage. I can better serve because of this special relationship I'm now in. The proximity that oftentimes brings conflict actually becomes a place for greater mutual love and growth. Even in a fallen world and fallen relationships with sinners involved, when the giving is one-sided... When all of that is true, the answer, hear this, the answer to selfish people in relationships is not to become one yourself. And that's what we really need to guard against. We go, ah, there's so many selfish people that just cause pain, and so you know what you do? The response is to become one. That's not the answer. Friendship must begin with love, and love gives and sacrifices. It may be, and here's a, a soft disclaimer, it may be that a relationship does need to change or be limited or end because one person in it is living and acting in such a way that the relationship is harmful to, to you, to them, to both of you. God makes provision for us to avoid being unnecessarily damaged. We can defend ourselves when violence is threatened, and that includes relational, emotional violence or or threat or damage. But self, and this is something that I mentioned last week, self-preservation is not and should not be our ultimate aim. If self-preservation were the most important goal for the human, then Jesus was an utter failure. Think about that. If you're just supposed to live the safest life with the most personal fulfillment and the least bruising, Jesus failed. Rather, it may be better for the furtherance of the kingdom, the redemption of the world, that you be defrauded, offended, injured, die. How do I know this? Because in numerous ways, we see this manifest in the logic of Christ's kingdom as he showed us, as King Jesus walked through this fallen, ugly, painful world, he told us it's better to be defrauded than to take a brother to secular court, exercising your right to financial defense. Jesus said that. It's better to turn the other cheek and manifest the upside-down nature of Christ's kingdom than to defend yourself against mockery, 
hard words, painful words, and even physical pain. If your enemy asks you for a cloak, don't assert your right of self-defense. Give him your tunic as well. If you're living with an unbelieving husband, feeling unfulfilled, hurt so frequently by what is said and what is unsaid, by what's done and what's undone, what is the answer? Seek to love him sacrificially in such a way that he will take notice and might be saved. Does that mean there are no exceptions? No. But especially in our culture, which there's no loyalty at all, no willingness to sacrifice, we need to, we need to know the seasons and the times. And in our season, in our times, our tendency is to run, to, to, to push away, to avoid any pain or difficulty, any sacrifice. But God calls us to another way of living. The paradox of the cross is that giving up our rights and privileges can actually have far greater rewards, such as saving the souls of our perpetrators. It might actually bring us more joy, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. That's how God gets more honor. If you're one of those people who are already reacting to what I'm saying with some variation of, well, but, 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 it's vital that we just stop. Just stop and consider seriously what I'm saying. Stop and consider, consider the friendship you have with Christ. Consider the example he set as an example of self-sacrificing friendship. He was willing to be hurt and defrauded by you. He didn't do this as a dupe. He didn't do this as a patsy or a weak-willed people-pleaser. He did this with purpose. He recognized that there was a noble and a beautiful purpose to his suffering. And so he engaged in it. This is not the same thing as being manipulated like a child into being used by the people around you. That's not what I'm suggesting. That's not what Jesus did. It's not the example that he set. Rather, it's more like a father wading into a fight between Two teenage siblings, fists flying, to rescue both of those combatants from themselves and one another. Yeah, the dad might get injured. He may take a few hits to the face, but love compels him into the fray and he's willing to get hurt. This is a a purposeful decision to condescend, to sacrifice in love. You can do this because you're more durable than you feel. Because you have, think about this, Christian, you are more durable, and I'm speaking to you who've been hurt or afraid. You're not stronger than you feel because you're awesome. You're stronger than you feel because you've been made awesome. You've been made stronger. You are made more durable because you have the Holy Spirit of the triune God of the universe residing within you. Because nothing happens to you except what is under the sovereign control of God for your good. You are far more durable and able to withstand the challenges of friendship than you feel because of these truths. So I'm not suggesting that you endure unneeded pain or injury, but our world is creating snowflakes that just melt under the slightest heat of any kind of pressure. 
So we need, to, we need to push against that with wisdom, but we need to push against that. Rather than growing snowflakes, what is God growing? What is our Heavenly Father producing? What kind of children should we expect to see? And when I say children, I mean, yes, those who are younger here, but I mean us, all of us. We are God's children. Our Heavenly Father is growing giant killers who know how to get bloodied and bruised because they know how to fight to win. Sometimes we fight for friendships and it means pain. But the question is simple. This is the question we should be asking. How can I best honor God by loving him as I love my neighbor? If God calls you to endure pain for the sake of his kingdom, then he will give you the strength and the durability you need to endure. And not just to endure, but to thrive. But this is impossible. It's impossible if we don't get first things first. A cart, as the old adage goes, a cart cannot effectively pull a horse. So if we get things backwards, this is not going to work. You can't live out this kind of love in any relationship, friendship, marriage, what have you, unless you first make friendship with Jesus your primary aim and the primary source of the joy in your life. You all know what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You all know that. Well, okay, now you do. We can apply these two aims to friendship in this way. Friendship with Christ. Friendship with Christ is my chief end in friendship. That's my chief end. I want, to, I, I want my friendship with Christ to be my, my primary aim. And I want contentment in his friendship to flow from that. We glorify God and we enjoy him. We pursue friendship with Christ and we find our greatest contentment in that. And then the rest, we're set up for at that point. Often our desire for horizontal relationships, though, quickly eclipse our desire for friendship with Jesus. Our desire to be satisfied in the joy of earthly friendships, as good as they are and as good as that desire is and as built into us as it is, takes precedence over finding satisfaction in Christ. And if that's the case, you're getting the cart before the horse. You're not going to have the robustness that you need to be able to live in relationships with all these knuckleheads. It's just going to be impossible. Last time I spoke, I made the point that we are created to live in relationship with others, and this is a reflection of the community that exists between the triune persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In this sense, we really do need friendship. We were designed for it. But the truth is that all we really need and what we should be finding complete satisfaction in is to have what was secured for us in the work of the cross, friendship with Jesus. Jesus himself told us that unless we are willing to give up all of our other relationships, all of our other friendships, we could not enter into his kingdom. In this fallen world, there will be times when we will need to give up our friendships because they are seeking or we are tempted to allow them to eclipse our friendship with Christ. We must be willing to pick up our cross and to let our friendships die. If they are, and this is the key, it's not... It's not so much, it doesn't start with me. It starts with the question, if we're we're tempting, 
sorry, if we are tempted to allow them to eclipse our friendship with Christ, if they're taking that place. But the decision to begin or to continue, so when you're thinking about friendship, the question, do I begin a friendship with this person? Do I continue a friendship with this person? Do I modify a friendship with this person? Do I end a friendship with this person? Should begin by asking, what will glorify God? How can I best love God? And then how can I best love this person? That's, that's where our questions regarding friendship should begin. Now, as we seek to grow in our ability to excel in this area of friendship, it's important to consider well, what is friendship? Friendship comes in all shapes and sizes. There's, they're as varied as the people that comprise them. A helpful rubric, I've got three points, if you're a point person. Um, I've got three points, uh, a rubric for friendship. Uh, association, loyalty, and affection. You want to know, how do I understand what kind of friendship this is? Think about three qualities that will attend any relationship that you have. Number one is association, number two is loyalty, and number three is affection. Depending on how those, what, what's present and how those are emphasized in, in a relationship, you can kind of get a sense for the quality or the kind of relationship or friendship you have there. So if we have a friendship that is just based solely on association, we simply happen to be in proximity, happen to be in association, we tend, we tend in our culture to call that acquaintances. You might shop at the same store with someone and see each other weekly. You f- share a few pleasant words, but that's, that's not... And you might even call that a, a friendship of sorts, but it's v- very light. But Karen and I, uh, early on in our marriage, we went shopping every Thursday, uh, every Thursday night, and began to build a relationship with a checker at the grocery store. Some of, some of you probably have developed... Like, what kind of relationship do I have with that checker? Because it's more than just an association. It's, it's like my association with Glenn at the time. Uh, over time, we learned about his family. We learned about his wife. We learned about his hobbies. We celebrated some victories that he was having over time in his weight loss journey. This was more than a mere acquaintance now. But certainly, it didn't rise to deep friendship. And so, you know, if you look at that rubric, okay, we're associated. We're encountering one another. And there's some affection there. Um, But it it wasn't like we were sharing our deepest, darkest secrets together. Some friendships have strong loyalty and association, but little affection. A, A biblical example of that would be David and Joab. Joab was loyal to David. And he certainly was associated with him, but he wasn't, there was no affection there. And then there's that paradigm, that beautiful biblical picture of deep, deep, profound friendship in the relationship that David had with Jonathan. Of course, they were associated, there was loyalty, and there was a deep affection for one another. So if you're trying to analyze, well, what is what is this relationship? Just think, okay, are we just associates? To what extent am I loyal? Or is this person loyal to me? And to what extent and what kind of affection do I have for this person? And you're going to find spectrums even within this body. But one problem that we often encounter when it comes to friendship is setting up the wrong expectations for friendships. We, sh- we shrink our definition of friendship down and we leave little room for what God actually designed friendships to be. 
Often this is because we approach friendship like it's a simple, like an object, like a square, like super easily defined. Um, some of you might like definitions on like, might like math, and so you know that a square, here's the definition of a square. A square is a plane figure, two-dimensional, with four equal straight sides and four right corners. It's a square. Very easily defined. Um, anything that misses this narrow definition is rightly rejected as a square. And we look at friendships and we think, I've got this very discreet, clear picture of what friendship is supposed to be. And, well, that person isn't meeting those expectations, and so they must not be a good friend. And that person is missing it in this way, and so, you know, maybe they're not a good friend, not even a good person. Well, sometimes the problem is our expectations. Friendships aren't like that. Friendships are more like flowers. And our lives are like the path that wind through a flower garden. Gardens are full, if they're a good garden, of a huge diversity of flowers. Flowers come in all shapes and sizes and heights and scents. And so I, I encountered in the spring, I wanted to, uh, there was a lot of people at our house through May and June, which was great. I had a lot of help. And I was focused primarily on caring for Karen. But I had so much help, I had a little extra time. So I thought, what should I do with my time? What would Karen enjoy? Or in theory, what would she enjoy? Because she was beginning to not really be able to interact much. I thought, I'm going to plant a wildflower garden. Because it was easy. Just rip up some old stuff and just, I did a path, and then just wildflowers. And I, I encountered a wildflower I'd never seen before. Called a zinnia. Anybody know what a zinnia is? I don't know why they're not more popular. They're so cool. Easy to grow, really beautiful, perfect for, you know, if you cut them and put them in a vase, they're amazing flowers. To reject a zinnia as a flower because it lacks the scent or the thorns or the familiarity to you of a rose would be to miss out on a really amazing flower. And like a garden, you may pick a flower and you might carry it close to you for a time, and then it might need to be planted somewhere along the way. Some flowers will be closer to you as you walk through the path that just happen to be close to you in the providence of God. And the scent of some flowers will be more naturally pleasant to you than others. Can you see the analogy for friendships and the people God has put into your life? Like flowers, friendships change. Uh, young people, I think this is really important for you. If you, can, if you can get this, you're going to be a lot more content in your friendships. Friendships change, and they grow, and they mature over time, and some wither and die, and some thrive for years. But we set ourselves up for so much disappointment if we don't recognize the diverse and dynamic nature of friends and friendship. Don't expect friendships to all look the same. Don't expect friendships to stay the same. Don't try to fit all your friendships into that little shape. This does mean that as friendships can grow and they can deepen and they can become more beautiful, they can also wither and they can become toxic. Some plants are poisonous and you don't realize it for a time. And sometimes friendships just change because of the changes in the circumstances of your life. And those changes are totally fine. Many of you still know Phil Olson. 
He was um, a member of CVP. Uh, they've been gone for about 10 years. But I've, I've known him since I was 19. And he was over at our house every single day until he, well, until he moved away for, to get his doctorate. And then he was at my brother's house every single day. And we were super close. And then we started going to church together. And so uh, while he was away, our, our, our friendship changed. And then now we're back together at church, and our friendship blossomed. And then he moved away. And for the past 10 years, did our friendship end? No. Our friendship didn't end. But did it change? Yes. And if we had this very... Um, limited definition of friendship, we would be upset with each other because we don't talk to each other like we used to. That's not a problem with our friendship. That's a problem with our definition, our expectations for friendship. In eighth grade, I tried my first time ever doing a a sport was wrestling. And I had never conditioned before. And I don't know if you know, but wrestling conditioning is really hard. And the next day when I, when I woke up and I got out of bed, I experienced a kind of pain that I had never experienced before. And I thought I was injured. And I went to my PE coach that day. I went to a public high school. I said, Coach Fresino, I don't think I can do anything today. And he said, well, what's wrong? I said, I don't know. But yesterday I, I did wrestling. He's like, oh, well, that's normal. The best thing for, for you to do is go run. So go run. And he made me run. I thought something was wrong because I just didn't know. And so what I'm trying to do is warn you. You may experience a change and it may feel painful. It's not necessarily a problem. It might just be part of the way that God has structured friendship to operate. So don't, make it, don't get disappointed or make accusations toward your friends just because friendships change. Ask most of the adults here, and many of the friendships that they had 30 years ago, 40, 50 years ago, they don't have anymore. And it's not always because there was a problem. It's just because things change. So the things that I've talked about, these principles are no, by no means the only principles to consider But I want to take some of these principles and address some common friend problems. And as I do, I expect I might step on some toes. So that's why we have the the question and answer time for afterwards. So, you know, write down your your grievances and we'll discuss them later. Uh, My desire, though, is is not to annoy you or to bother you, but to cause, I don't want to cause you pain It's rather to speak truth to you in love for your good so that you can grow, hear this, so that you can grow in your ability to be a good friend. And notice what I said and what I didn't say. I didn't say, I want you to grow in your ability to get friends. It's not what I said. That's what we often want. That's where we start. I want friends. No, I want you to grow in your ability to be a good friend. The difference is enormous. It strikes at the very root of this, the first common problem. Problem number one, you have no friends. You don't have friends. You don't have any close friends. You feel alone. I'm not here addressing the situation where for a season or a short time, you struggle to find friends. Maybe you moved recently, 
and he just takes time. You may be providentially limited in the number or the quality of the people available to you, and it can be really hard in those situations to find friends. What I'm addressing here is the person who over time seems to always struggle to find friendship. If the struggle is consistent, it's not wise to point your finger around at the world. The problem is likely what we see in Proverbs 18.24. Proverbs 18.24 says this, a man that has friends shows himself friendly. And there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A man who has friends shows himself friendly. Here's a question to, to ask when you think about your approach to friendship. Am I interested in getting a friend or being a friend? Am I interested in getting a friend or being a friend? To what extent am I self-serving in my desire for friendship? Am I, am I lacking initiative? Generally, requiring that others take the initiative toward me and thus placing the burden and the work primarily on all those other peoples to prove that they're friendly. To what extent, here's the question, if those who have friends show themselves friendly, are you being a good friend? Are you seeking to be a good friend? A man who has friends must show himself friendly. In other words, if you want friends, seek to be a good friend. Matthew Henry actually comments on this passage, and he says this, Solomon here recommends friendship to us and shows, number one, what we must do that we may contract and cultivate, I love that word, cultivate friendship. We must show ourselves friendly. We would have friends and keep them. We must not only not affront them or quarrel with them, but we must love them and make it appear that we do so by all expressions that are endearing, by being free with them, pleasing to them, visiting them, bidding them welcome, and especially by doing all good offices we can and serving them in everything that lies in our power. That is showing ourselves friendly. And so as the Word of God should do, if that is, if you, if, if you are beginning to see, you know what, I think I'm, I've been reversing the, the goal of friendship, maybe that's what's been getting in the way. I need to seek to be a friend rather than demanding friendship from other people. Problem number two. Here's problem number two. I'm con- and this happens a lot in church. So if problem number one, that, no, that's, not, that's not me. Problem number two, see if this fits in some way. I'm content with the friends I have. New people, they, they tend to disrupt my friend group. I don't, I don't have a need for other friends. Is it wrong to be content? No. Is it wrong to be content with the friends you have? Of course not. That's good. Not in and of itself. But what is at the heart of this attitude? What's... Ask yourself, what, if you're doing the analysis, what is at the heart of this attitude? Is it contentment? No, it's self. This kind of contentment isn't a satisfaction with God and what he's given to you. It is a self-satisfaction that all, all my needs are met. That's all that really matters. 
This attitude forgets that the heart of friendship, as we've talked last week and the beginning of this sermon today, is love. Not love generally defined in the abstract, ethereal, but love given its shape, its character, and its goal in what Jesus said about it and how he lived it out. If you're self-content with your friendships, if you've closed yourself off to other people, if you're not, listen to this, looking around for those who may need friendship, then you're not operating the way Jesus operates. He could have been perfectly satisfied for all eternity in the perfect relationship that he had with the Father and the Spirit. A friend group of three, how convenient and manageable. Yet he chose, because of his love, to pour himself out into the lives of difficult people, And I'm not here ignoring the fact that we all have limits. We are finite. I often actually feel the weight of the relationships I already have. And I honestly, I get stressed at times thinking about all the more I have to do. I look out at all of you and I think, well, I failed in so many ways. I hardly know most of you. I recognize that's a failing and I feel the weight of that. I know we're limited. I'm not saying you have to be friends with everybody in, the, in that sense. and It's just impo- it's impossible. But, but we should be willing to go where God leads. And as we do, we are often surprised at, at the friendships that do develop and the additional capacities that God ends up giving us because God never asks us to do something that he doesn't equip us for. So who is God bringing into your, your sphere, into your orbit who have, who have you begun to engage in conversation? Who has need around you for friendship? And set aside the, the worry, the stress that I often feel. And if God is calling you to serve this person in friendship, then seek to serve them in friendship. Isn't that what Jesus did? Didn't he do that for you? Okay, number three. Problem number three. Uh, I never have conflicts with my... I'm sorry, this is conflict, uh, problem number four. Problem number four. And this one, you might, you might think this, that's a problem, and that this is a problem. Well, I never have conflict with my friends. We always get along. I never have conflicts with my friends. We always get along. Why would I list a lack of conflict among the problems in friendship? Because the only way you can be in a friendship with someone for any length of time and not come into conflict or hear hard words is that you're not really acting like true friends. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Some of you, this will sound familiar. It gives us these challenging words. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Real friends speak the truth in love. Real friends love their friends enough to tell them the truth. Real friends respond to... And this is the response. So a friend gives truth in love with gentleness. And then the response of a friend is to respond to truth even when it hurts with humility and thankfulness, not with anger or passive-aggressive silence 
or cold shoulder gossip. Real friendship is not defined by lack of conflict or lack of disagreement, but by good conflict that is resolved well. If you don't have any conflict in your relationships, if there's never any hard words, you don't have a real friendship. And if, you're, if you hear hard words and it's just the result is distance, coldness, anger, gossip, you're not being a good friend. Jesus was the best of friends and he spoke hard words regularly. And when a friend brings a hard situation to you and your most common response is, so let's, this is a situation where two people are in some sort of conflict, two friends, and one of them comes to you, a third party, because you're a friend. And your response as the third party is, oh, you're right, they really hurt you. That's it? With no, no gentle correction or questioning or asking is there something that you brought to the equation here? If, you're rarely, if you rarely or never stop to ask yourself if your friend may be in the wrong in some way, if your tendency is just to take the side of the first person in the argument to come to you, just out of some, some sense of loyalty, you're forgetting that your first love and loyalty to, is to your friend Jesus. He is the truth. We are to love the truth. The truth is what is that we must truly love our friends. If you're constantly kissing your friends, as the proverb says, then you are not acting like a friend, you're acting like an enemy. Well, but what if I speak, what if I speak those hard words and they get angry? What if they get angry? Why are you so scared? Why are you so scared of the, your friend's anger? They're being upset with you. Shouldn't you be more afraid, even as we heard in the, the reading of the law, of God's anger? Shouldn't you be more afraid of God? Fear of man is a sin. I know many of you are reading a book about that. Fear of man is a sin and makes for terrible friendships. Well, what if I speak the truth out of a desire for their good and they just reject me? Well, real friendship, like the rest of life, takes faith, not faith in your friendship. Not faith in your child, not faith in your spouse. When we put our faith in the wrong object, that's why we're so disappointed. Our faith is always in God. We must trust God that when we honor him in thankful and faithful obedience, even through fear, that he will walk with us and bless us, even through difficulties and disappointments, because it doesn't always end well. It doesn't always end the way we want. A lot of the times it does, actually. Especially in a community like this, I know. I know you want, you want to do what's right. Part of what I'm challenging us to do is to give, out, give each other opportunity to do what's right, to truly be good friends. But the, the fact is, sometimes you may lose a friendship. But if this is the case, it's because you were, you were being a true friend to Jesus. And so you, you leave the consequences to him to sort out. Two more problems. The, the next problem is, is this, and maybe uh, this is, I think, for younger people a lot of times. I don't have a best friend. You, I don't have a best friend. This is actually one of the most unhelpful and often damaging misconceptions about friendships. 
Many of you have been deeply saddened that you have never found a best friend. Many of you have been profoundly disappointed or hurt by someone who was, was your best friend and now they're not. This, this change may be through nothing sinful, but simply the natural flux and change of life, or it may be because of conflict and sin. But in either case, the relationship changed, and now you're just hurt and you're saddened. That was my best friend, and now they're not. Why well, I never had one. Well, let me destroy this shibboleth. Where did you come up with this idea? Where in the Bible are you told that, you know what, you just need a best friend? If you can find it, I will repent. I'll do so publicly. Um, I've yet, in my, in my investigation of the scriptures, to find that promise in scripture, even that reality. The Bible talks about close friends, friends that stick closer than brothers. But there is nowhere in scripture that I'm aware of where we're ever even given the expectation that one of our friends needs to be ranked above all of the others. As I mentioned earlier, friendship is diverse. It's dynamic. Lots of different types. Those friendships change. You might happen to have somebody that you can accurately say, this is the, they, they are closer to me right now than probably any of my other friendships. And that might be true, and I'm not discounting that reality. But there's no need to rank your friends so that one always feels super special and another one is outside that status and is trying to earn. Maybe, maybe I can... You know, it's like when we used to have uh, speed dial, you know? You wanted to be the, the number one, right? No. We, we treat friendships a lot of times like that. Many, many people use this as a, this status, this unbiblical status, as a way to manipulate their friends, threatening to topple someone from their best friend position if they don't do what you want, or using it as a manipulative carrot. You know, you can be my best friend. We don't say it quite like that, but, but you know, and as some of you know, you've seen this in your relationships. And it's ugly, and it's gross, and it's not right, and it shouldn't be expected, and it has no place in your relationship. So if that's happening, it's a sin to be confessed and gotten rid of. Stop looking for a best friend. Stop referring to one person as your best friend. Instead, talk about the special relationships that you do have. Enjoy the variety of friendships that God gives you, some of which are closer and deeper than others. And be okay with the changes that come over time. If you avoid this pitfall, you'll find that you're a better friend and your friendships will be better. That burden will just be released and you can just enjoy what God is giving to you. The last, the last problem often encountered is this. Why do friendships have to be filled with so much drama? Well, I know this has to do with how I'm defining drama, but here's my claim. Friendships don't have to be filled with drama. Contrary to the music and the movies that we often are ingesting, contrary to, to Instagram, to Snapchat, to Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, I'm sure I've missed some of the more popular ones nowadays. Um, yes, friendships are often hard, and there are challenges to work through, but persistent drama is a sign of bad friendships or that you're a bad friend. It can and must be fixed either through maturing together or separating. Drama, that just constant tension, and you know, you know what I'm talking about? That's, if that exists in your friendships, it shouldn't. Difficulties, yes. Challenges, of course. 
healthy conflict resolved well? Yes, but that's not drama. If you're, feeling your, if you're telling yourself that drama is normal, that means you don't know any better because you've surrounded yourself with poor friends or you don't want to change and are using it as an excuse. Some people just like drama. Maybe you kind of like it. It gives a sense of meaning and importance, and yeah, it's gross, but why do you think it's so common? Because when you're not getting your sense of meaning and purpose, when the story that's unfolding in your life looks dull, we will try to find it in the wrong places. You should be seeking to build friendships on character. Building friendships on character. What do you see in that person? What do you see in that person that, could, that they could grow into? That you could help water? It doesn't mean you're only, like we talked about not curating friendships, but as you are looking for those deeper friendships, focusing on character is really important, but it can also be the character that you like God, when he looks at you, he knows the story as it's going to unfold and he sees the possibility and the beauty as you grow. When you look at somebody and, and you're assessing them, you think, well, there's some, there's some character issues, but I also see that God is, he seems to be moving this person in that direction and I might have the blessing in friendship of helping to water that and help them to grow that direction. If you're building friendships instead primarily on just shared interests with little or no consideration of the character and the direction that person is going, you're in for a lot of hurt and drama. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Are you surrounded or are there people in your life who are fools? You are guaranteed harm. The other part of that, though, is are you not surrounded by people who are wise? You're just not surrounded by much of anything at all. One of the great blessings God has given to us is to be surrounded by the wise so that we can become wise. Let's pursue those kinds of people together. Let's pursue becoming those kinds of people together so that it's not hard to look around and think, I'm just surrounded by this this abundance of opportunity, I just can close my eyes and the first person I hit at RPC is going to be somebody who, if I'm around them long enough, I'm going to be more like Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this about friendship. Don't be deceived. Why, why does a father say something like that? Why does a pastor say something like that? Don't be deceived. Because you're, you're likely to be deceived. This is a common area of deception. So if you hear the words I'm about to say and you think, well, that's not a problem for me, guess what you're doing? You're deceiving yourself. Don't do that. Do not be deceived, Paul says. Bad company ruins good morals. Oh, it's, they're not having that influence on me. What have you just done? Come on, Christian. Don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself. The friend you choose to spend time with will affect you. To deny this is to argue with God, not me. Paul tells us to not be deceived because we're really good at deceiving ourselves. 
So when you look at the people you are spending your time with, old, young, doesn't matter. Do you like what you see in the people you're spending time with? And when I say that, I don't mean in your flesh. I mean when you consider the kind of man or woman, regardless of how old you are, you could be in your 60s or 70s, and you're still growing. We should be growing like Christ, growing to be more like him. Who is around you? Are you, if you're with them, spending time with them, in conversation with them, are you going to be more like Christ? Surround yourself with those kind of people. And so in conclusion, I just want to make sure you know my concern today, my fear, is that many of you will hear what I'm saying and think, I wish that so-and-so was here. I wish that they'd heard this. Or I hope so-and-so was listening. I know this is the case because when I preached this a similar sermon not long ago at CVP, um, I had a few people come up and say, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what I was thinking. If you've been listening and thinking about all the other people in your life who you wish had heard this sermon, then I ask you to stop and consider how these words really apply to you. And when, when I was preparing, I was trying to apply this to myself too. I have lots of room for growth. And I thought of one friendship in particular uh, that, that I need to be a better, a better friend because it's hard. It's a hard one. And yet, I have opportunity to love this man, to be a better friend to him, even though it's not easy. It's not, it's not one of the pleasant ones, but think about the friendship of Jesus. Think about his love for you. We're not easy. You are not easy. I'm not easy. I want to remind you that I'm I'm trying to be faithful to God as your friend by just seeking to speak truth and love. So let me repeat the words of Jesus back to you that you might understand the heart of your preacher today. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. That's my desire. I want you to find your greatest joy in the friendship that you have with Jesus Christ, first and foremost. And flowing out from that, I want all of our other friendships to produce what they were designed to produce, deep and growing joy. When we pursue and engage in friendship the way that Jesus did, as difficult as it often is, what he gifts us with will be joy. Let's pray. This has been a presentation of Redeemer Presbyterian Church. For more resources and information, please stop by our website at visitredeemer.org. All material here within, unless otherwise noted, copyright Redeemer Presbyterian Church, Elk Grove, California. Music furnished by Nathan Clark George, available at nathanclarkgeorge.com.